0: Are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene online at BethanyNaz.org. All right, if there's a seatbelt on that seat, you might want to buckle it, all right? Um, it's going to be a great day as we open our hearts for God's Word. And look how you're sitting in this front section. I'm going to preach better because you are. So I'm excited to share God's Word with you. So I'm going to start with a question. You ready for the question? Here we go. Question is, do you believe that if you do the right thing, do what is right, and let me qualify that for you, okay? The right thing would be what is right in God's eyes, okay? Do you believe that if you do what is right in God's eyes and you avoid doing what is wrong, again, what is morally wrong in God's eyes, do you believe that your life will go pretty well? So you say, Rick, what do you mean by pretty well? Well, I'll qualify that for you as well. Do you believe that if you do what is right and you avoid doing what is wrong, do you believe that God won't let bad things happen to you and yours? No. Just a verbal flat out, I'm getting involved in the sermon. Don't believe it. Let me say this. I do believe that if you avoid doing what's wrong, sin, that your life will go better. So in other words, if you don't steal from your company you probably won't face charges of embezzlement and have the potential of going to prison, right? If you don't drink and drive, you probably won't endanger other people's lives and stand to lose your license and maybe go to jail. If you don't cheat on your spouse, you probably won't stand the potential of losing your marriage and the ability to live in the same home with your children. So, if you avoid doing what's wrong, honestly, life does go better. But... Do we believe that if I do what's right, avoid doing wrong, that God is like going to offer this extra hedge of protection around me and mine, and He won't let bad things happen to us? No, we don't, we don't believe that. And there's two reasons why. One is, Scripture does not support it anywhere. And number two is, in our experience, that's not what we see. Because everyone in the room and listening would say, I know of a family who all of their lives have done the right thing and honored God, but they still experienced tragedy. So no, I don't believe that. All right, so think with me about a scenario. You ready? We're talking about doing the right thing, right? Suppose that somebody of the opposite sex who is not your spouse. Now this applies to you whether you're married or single. Everybody listening? It's going to get real somebody who is not your spouse of the opposite sex, and if you had to answer the question, attractive or unattractive, you would say, oh no, attractive. If that person comes into your personal space to the point that it surprises you, they lean forward, and as they begin to whisper into your ear, you can feel their warm breath on your face and neck, and in a sultry tone, that person says to you, I want to be with you. And as they back away, they look deep into your eyes with a slight grin on their face. Now, I think you've got the picture. If it seems like I'm being explicit, it's because I am. A person that is not your spouse, that you find attractive, breaks into your personal space to the point that it surprises you. As they lean forward to whisper into your ear, you can feel their warm breath on your face and neck. And in a sultry tone, they say, I want to be with you. And as they back away, they stare into your eyes with a slight grin on their face. And now you have a decision to make. You have a choice that you have to make. It's not like, I don't want to choose. No, you got to choose. And whatever you choose will become a defining moment in your life. Hands down. If you straighten your back and you refuse that person and you stand your ground and you live by your convictions, you will look back on that moment for the rest of your life and you will say, that's where I stood tall. And it will change the course of your life forever. If you give in to that temptation, and you are intimately with that person, you will look back at that moment the rest of your life, and you will point to it and say, that was the moment that I gave in. I was tested, and I failed. And the course of my life has been set from that moment. Everything changed that day. Here's what I'm trying to say. There are times in our lives where defining moments are grounded in the choices that we are forced to make, whether we want to make them or not. So that's where we find a man who is about 30 years old. He is well built and handsome. His name is Joseph in the biblical story. He's a Hebrew, and he's a slave at this point in his life. And he works for a military man named Potiphar. And one day he finds himself in Potiphar's house. And the only other person in the house is Potiphar's wife. And she grabs Joseph's cloak, and she looks into Joseph's eyes, and she says, Joseph... Come to bed with me. And now Joseph has to make a choice. And the choice that he makes will become a defining moment in his life. Because often defining moments in our lives are grounded in the choices that we are forced to make. So we know the story. And we know that Joseph makes the right choice, and he does the right thing, but it doesn't mean that everything turns out well. In fact, she tells a lie. Potiphar becomes angry, and Joseph ends up in the big house, the pokey, the slammer, jail. Which means that if we don't do the right thing, We face consequences. But if we do the right thing, it doesn't necessarily mean that bad things won't still happen in our lives. It was true for Joseph. It's true for you. It's true for me. Even when you have done the right thing. When you said, God, I've tried to serve you all of these years. Even when you've done the right thing. When you've said, you know what? Being a part of worship every weekend is important to me and I'm faithful to it. Even when you've done the right thing. Even when the offering plate comes by, you're always faithful to give. Even when you've done the right thing. I've tried to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit when I feel like God's leading me to do something. Even when you've done the right thing. I've gone on missions trips. I've taught children in Sunday school. I've worked in the nursery. I've volunteered in other ways. Even when you do the right thing. When Satan would tempt me to sin, I would turn my back on it. Even when you do the right thing, life can steal can still become difficult. I don't like it, you don't like it, but it's the reality of life. So let's dig into Joseph's story. Chapter 39 of Genesis. Aren't you glad you sit up front? Aren't you really glad today that you did? Genesis chapter 39. You ready? I want to read the story to you. A way too brief summary of his life to this point. Joseph was born to a man named Jacob. His mother's Rachel. And Jacob loved Joseph more than he loved his other sons. And they hated him because of it. His brothers did. In order to prove his love, he gave him a beautiful, colorful coat that he didn't give to any of the other sons. It made them hate him even more. Then he was kind of insensitive. Because he shared dreams that he probably shouldn't have shared with his brothers. Because in every dream he becomes the ruler over his whole family. And his father one day says, Joseph, stop talking about it, okay? What are you thinking? Me and your mother and your brothers were going to bow down and worship you someday? You know, think about what you're saying, son. It's not healthy for the family. They hated him more. So one day his brothers decided to kill him. At the last minute... They changed their mind and decided to sell him into slavery. They told the father that an animal, a wild animal, had killed him. And chose to live the rest of their lives with a secret. A lie. And so this is where the story starts in verse 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, military guy, bought him. Okay, he's a slave, Potiphar buys him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And the Lord was with Joseph. You're going to see this phrase many times. So that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, even other people see that God's with him. And that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. You're getting the picture. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph because he was well built and handsome. And she noticed him and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. Listen to his reasoning. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. I can have anything that I want in this house. Everything here is for me to enjoy except you. Because you are his wife. Now then, can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? God. So there's a moral issue here. There's a right thing to do. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, can you imagine? There she is again. Joseph, come to bed with me. He refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. That's pretty important. One day he went to the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me, Joseph. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran, ran out of the house. And when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until her, his master came home. Then she told him this story. This Hebrew slave, you brought us to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. So when his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, read the next five words with me. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor. In the eyes of the prison warden, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all of those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Just because you do the right thing, doesn't mean that life won't ever become difficult. You know the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian, pastor, was executed by the Nazis in 1945 at the age of 39. He had already written extensively and is best known for his book, Cost of Discipleship. If you haven't read it, I would say read it. But he wrote lots of other stuff. In fact, he wrote a little booklet I read not long ago called Temptation. And Bonhoeffer said, in this temptation that we deal with as human beings, when the enemy tempts us to sin, Bonhoeffer said there is this issue that we deal with called desire. And he said desire can become overwhelming. Whether it's sexual desire or desire for ambition or fame or love or greed or money It can overwhelm us, this desire. And he said, when desire overwhelms us, God does not seem real to us. In fact, Bonhoeffer goes on to say, the enemy, in the moment that we feel overwhelmed by desire, does not fill us with hatred toward God. But he fills us with forgetfulness of God. What are you thinking about? God? Nope. I'm thinking about what's in front of me. I'm thinking about what I want. God seems unreal, Bonhoeffer says. And the enemy does not fill us with hatred for God. Just forgetfulness. I'm just not thinking right now about what God wants. So I think we ought to camp here for a few minutes and 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 ask ourselves questions about temptation and what temptations Joseph might have faced in that moment. I think I think one would be um, a temptation to have a friend in a high place. I think we all like to have friends in high places. You never know when you're going to need a friend. In a high place. And so all thing, although things are going well with Potiphar and, and he trusts Joseph so much, you never know when things could turn sour, right? After all, he's a slave. And it might be good to have another ally in Potiphar's house who would vouch for you if things go a little bit wrong or if something comes up missing, somebody who would speak on your behalf. So could he have been tempted to say, you know what? I know that I shouldn't be with her, but it might be good to have an ally in the house. I think there's a second possible temptation, and that is the temptation to have what I can't have. We always want what we can't have. Do you agree? So sometimes, you know, I get to that place like you where I say, okay, I gotta eat better. This is, this is bad. I'm just gonna have to say no to sugar for a while. And man, when I say no to sugar, sugar has never sounded so good to me in all of my life. I just think about sugar. I'm obsessed with sugar. Because I can't have it. It's the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve eat. From the garden. It's all here for you. Enjoy it. Just fill your bellies. Eat till you're satisfied. Just enjoy the food. Just don't eat from the one tree. And you find Adam and Eve standing under one tree. Looking at the fruit. Licking their lips saying. I wonder what that fruit tastes like. And it's Joseph's story. He says himself. Everything in my master's house I can have. The only thing I can't have is you. And so was it a forbidden fruit kind of desire? I wonder what she's like intimately. I think the third temptation is the most obvious, and that is this, that sexual desire and urge is very real and maybe one of the most powerful forces that we know. You just don't need to deny that. And don't ever undersell its power. Because of media today, sexually explicit material is more accessible than it has ever been in the history of the world. And it has become accessible in the last 20 years. That means that the generation that is in the university today has faced the accessibility of sexually explicit material like no generation in the world has ever had to face. You think about that. Let that sink in. and sexual urge and desire is a powerful force in our lives which god intended for good but the enemy has turned around so before i jump out of this conversation about temptation let me tell you two things that we learn from the story about temptation number 1 temptation is demanding it it is demanding It wants its way now. Let me take you back to the words in the text. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Come to bed with me, exclamation point. And everybody listening right now doesn't have to be convinced that temptation is demanding. In your own life, you would say, no, I got it. I'm with you. Temptation is demanding. The second thing I would say that we find in the text about temptation is that it is relentless. Day after day after day she spoke to Joseph this way, sleep with me Joseph, be with me Joseph, come to bed with me Joseph, Joseph why won't you be with me just because that you stand firm today on your convictions and you do the right thing and you say no to temptation it doesn't mean that temptation won't come your way again tomorrow. Just because you stand your ground today and you do the right thing and you say no to temptation, you stand your ground, it doesn't mean that temptation will not come your way tomorrow. Temptation is relentless. And so we get to this part of the story, you know? And, and I, and I wanted, I wanted to do this. I wanted to have you like cheering during the scripture, if I did, or booing during the scripture, you know? But this is where we would cheer when it says that Joseph refused to be with her, you know? So you could cheer. That was weak, but it's okay. I don't want to say, God, that's your boy down there. Look at him go. He's 30 years old. His hormones are everywhere. He's well built and handsome. He's got a rich lady wanting him bad. And he says, Not today. It's not going to happen. Going to do the right thing. Woo! And you want to say, God, reward this man. Right? Take care of this. Look at, this is your man. Reward this man. But that's not what happens. Immediately. She lies. They believe her lie. And he ends up in the big house, the pokey, the slammer. He goes to prison. There you go. You're with me. Which reinforces a reality in life that I don't like. But it's real. Simply stated, good doesn't always come to the good. And evil doesn't always come to the evil. Life's not fair. Jesus said it another way. It rains. God causes the rain. God causes, I'll get it right in a minute. God causes the sun to shine on the, on the just and the unjust. He causes the rain to come on the righteous and the unrighteous. You say, what does that mean? That means good things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And bad things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. That's what it means. So, it creates this moment in life where Joseph is bound to be tempted to say, God, why are you so quiet all of a sudden? Why didn't you speak up when I was being lied about? God, did you leave me hanging, man? (laughs) I mean, I feel like I'm out there a little bit. Why did this happen? God, where are you? And I think it's what causes you and me sometimes to say, God, why do you seem so silent right now? God, I'm feeling like you left me hanging, man. Why, God, did you let this happen? Where are you? Did you hear about the girl who works for Goodwill down in Norman, Oklahoma? She, uh, she found, as she was sorting through clothes, $42,000 in cash in a box. Andrea Lessing. We need to say her name. She found the bundle of cash while sorting through clothing. The bills were wrapped in a box of sweaters. What would you do? 42 grand, baby. What are you going to do with that money right there? She reported the missing money to the company. And they were able to track down the owner thanks to some documentation left in the box. Do you know what she said after it was all over? She said, I made the right decision. And I did the right thing. I'm quoting her words. We don't know their situation. So it's better to just be kind. And do the right thing. And the grateful. Individual gifted her with $1,000. For the good deed. Jim Priest. The CEO of Goodwill Industries. Of Central Oklahoma. Who also attends Bethany First Church. And was in our first service this morning said. The actions of Andrea and our Goodwill organization. Are real life examples of one of our core values, which is integrity. Andrea could have kept the money, and Goodwill could have kept the money, but integrity is doing the right thing. And it's a core value we strive to live out every day. Would you have done the right thing? David Busick, your former pastor, is a gifted writer, author. If you're not reading his books, you're missing out. In a book where he did character sketches of the Old Testament personalities, he talks about Joseph. And he says, keep doing the right thing. Busick writes, when you're tempted to cut corners and compromise because it feels as if you aren't getting anywhere, keep doing the right thing. When you lose the promotion at work because you won't go party with the rest of the office, keep doing the right thing. When you lose some extra income because you refuse to cheat your customers, keep doing the right thing. When your boyfriend breaks up with you because you won't have sex with him, keep doing the right thing. When you kick your drug habit and your life seems to just get harder, keep doing the right thing. When you're following God and you still get sick, Keep doing the right thing. Even when you think no one knows what you're doing. Even when you think that you've been completely forgotten. Just keep doing the right thing. It it leads me here. Okay? Choose to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Not because I'm looking for a kickback or a little extra watch over and protection. Doing the right thing honors God. So you choose to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And doing the right thing honors God. Have you ever done the right thing and regretted it? Never have. Joseph, look at you, man. <laughs> Prison. Oh, Joseph. You keep getting in these situations, dude. I never say, dude, I don't know why I said that. I think I'm just trying to connect with younger people. I don't know. It's not working. Am I blushing? And I think Joseph would say, Yeah, I'm going to go to sleep tonight. And I'm going to know deep in my heart that I did the right thing. He refused to give in. I love these words. He refused to even be around her. It's, it's crucial. Hey, I'm not going to actually do anything, okay? I mean, I'm, I got my boundaries, but I, I, I am going to hang out over there. I do get a charge of knowing that there's some possibilities there. You, you think I shouldn't do that, Rick? You think I should walk away? No, I think you should run like Joseph. Run away. Don't hang around where you're tempted. All right, I'm just going to end with this. There, there, there might be people online in front of me who would say, um, Hey, Pastor Rick, I, I, I don't always get it right, I know, but I, I try to do the right thing. I really do and and i've lived I've lived now for a while, and that's priority to me. Um, but I feel a bit like I'm in a prison. Some difficult things have happened and i and I feel like I'm in a bit of a prison. So there's these words in the text that I want to remind you of. But, while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. You like that? Just because difficult things are happening in life, it doesn't mean that God is not with you. And, and and I love to think about Jesus in this story, in this Old Testament narrative. Where, where's Jesus? Well, we we talked last week. Jesus, the Word was in the beginning. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus was with Joseph in the prison. He's always been. And Jesus is with you in what feels like a prison today and then you flip into the New Testament and you find these words in Luke 4 where Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah and he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor and what does he say next and to proclaim freedom for the prisoner wow the kingdom of God is coming folks and there will be a day when all things are made right. And every prisoner will be set free. So I, uh, I want you to pray with me before we sing together. And this is one of those kind of awkward sermons, you know. I stand in the foyer a lot on Sundays, and I did this morning. And people walk by and say, "Hey, good sermon. Hey, I really needed to hear that." You know. And this morning, people were just going, "Hi," you know. It was almost like, well, that was awkward, you know. And I get it. And I think the response time today is is feeling a little bit like that. But I think God's work, and I trust that His Holy Spirit is speaking to all of us. So I just feel compelled to say that some of you may feel like you're in a prison. Some of you may say I'm 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 on the fence on the right thing. I'm not completely there. You know. I know I need to be there, but I'm not completely there. You know. Some some of you may say I I did the wrong thing. Oh man, let me just take a minute and tell you there is so much grace for you and there is so much forgiveness and there is so much love on God's behalf for you and God wants to restore that, you know. And so Father, um, in Jesus' name, will you just love on everyone who is listening and just draw them close to you and whatever the need is in their heart right now, would you meet it? Would you, would you give us all grace to pray right now? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.